everybody to another fine, upstanding citizens episode of M Class Email. Oh, I am so ready to read out loud my number one favorite thing to do. <laughs> uh, thankfully, we don't have any long emails. Oh, thankfully not. <laughs> I'm Jeff. I'm Josh. And on this program, a uh, spinoff of M-Class Podcast, we sit down with your emails and we read them, and uh, we mostly just make Peter jokes, so you hopefully you enjoy that. You might be wondering how this episode came to be. Well, Jeff and I uh, entered a shark jumping competition, and it propelled us to email world. <laughs> Where now we read emails. <laughs> we jumped the shark in episode five of M Class oh. Podcast. Every go every good show jumps the shark in episode five. <laughs> every good show. Damn. <laughs> What's the first email you ask? I'll read it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh I think I can say I'll just say uh this is from Lieutenant Herdman. It's uh, Turkey. Mashed potatoes. And controversy. That's Thanksgiving. Dun, dun, dun. Good day, Trek men. That is us. I really enjoyed slash can't wait for that review on Janeway ripping and tearing her way through airborne 1990s AIDS panic. What? what? I mean, I don't know if 90s had AIDS panic. 80s had AIDS panic. Yeah, 80s was definitely the AIDS panic. Yeah. All the all of uh, the, the all of that time she spent in the holodecks role playing as a Victorian era governess. <laughs> what show are you watching? She does. She's the no. She's she's an Irish. She lives in like an Irish town. No, 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 no. The Irish town is where fucking uh, they go to the bar and drink. Like yeah, and she falls the, in love with that guy. No, she falls in love with the guy as his governess. It's like a. Uh, it's based on a story called Janeway's One Weird Day. Captain Janeway Governess. So is there two, or is she a governess in the Irish one? Uh, what are you telling? There are two. There are two different ones. What? You pick a different time period, lady. She's uh, in it. Janeway played the character of Lucille Davenport, the governess to Lord Burley's children, Henry and Beatrice. That's the worst sentence I've ever heard said. And she wanted to fuck Lord Burley. And Lord she's like, computer, Burley. delete the children. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If only. Dude, you could get away with that back then. Yeah, computer, delete the children. They died of something. Nobody knows. And everyone was like, eh, well, that's oh, kids. Well. Just make more of them. Infant mortality rate, huh? Anyway... Uh, as Victorian governess has her ready to spank some ass. Anyways, I hope you guys had a great break and ate lots of holiday things. In the spirit of the familial feast-based battle royale of ideas that is Thanksgiving, I wanted to get your take on a recent flashpoint of sci-fi-based disagreement. Cultural appropriation. If there are any is a lighthearted people, topic. If there are any two people most qualified to talk yes. about cultural appropriation, it's two white-ass fucking Americans. Two white idiots. That's the name <laughs> of the show now. Two white idiots email. <laughs> Singular. One of my sisters-in-law watched Dune and was disturbed by the smorgasbord of cultural appropriation she had witnessed. Have you seen Dune, Jeff? Yeah. Okay, I saw it too. Since she is fully awake, 
a, a fully awake recent college graduate, and I'm an out-of-touch senior millennial, saying, I quickly disagreed with her. I said Dune was set in a distant future, so of course we would have a lot of mixing of cultural elements, but that it didn't seem to me to be harmful or bad in taste. I, I tend to agree with that, since I also didn't see anything in there, but I would like to reiterate I am a white idiot. I mean, like, I don't know if I would call it a smorgasbord of cultural appropriation, but, like... I would need some examples. I don't... I can't I think, think I would any. need further examples as well, because I gotta admit, I found the new Dune to be pretty boring. I didn't... Yeah, I, I just was Dune. I, just, I don't know. Like, I'm, I've never been thing. a big Dune guy. Yeah, me In either. any way, shape, or form. Like, I watched the original Dune movie where Sting shows his package off. Like, yeah. I've, I've seen that. Yeah. Um... I mean... That was culturally appropriating Sting's package. Yeah. We all culturally appropriated it. (laughs) It's culturally appropriated onto my brain. Um, so I don't know much... I don't, like, know that much about Dune, and there were certain swaths of the movie where I kind of faded out. Fell asleep. Yeah. Like... It's pretty long. Or I was just kind of, like, side-eyeing my phone or something. Um... I think it was is a similar problem that I have to a few other movies I've talked about where none of the characters had a strong enough personality that I cared about any of them. Well, yeah, it does the mistake that all movies do now of splitting the movie in half and it, it just it, it it doesn't allow it's not a natural way movies are are made. Like like you can't tell a story in halves and for sure. some reason we do this now. I don't know. Well, like J- Jason dumb. Jason Momoa has a personality the first time he shows up for like a second and then that ends. Yeah. He he kind of does it the next time he shows up as well. So he's like the character I like the best besides Oscar Isaac's character. Yeah. And I think those are both propelled on the fact that uh Oscar Isaac's and Jason Momoa are both very charismatic guys. And yeah, not so just, much that they yeah. were written to be interesting they're characters. Stars. They're movie stars, and they're being movie stars, right? Like, yeah. they show up, and you're like, oh, okay, like, I'm watching a movie. Yeah, Jason Momoa has a very, like, The Rock-style yes, yes. Uh, charisma to him. Yes. Like an Arnie, I, yes. Arnold Schwarzenegger-style charisma. Yep. Because uh, he's not that great of an actor. <laughs> no, he's but, pretty bad, actually. Um, I couldn't get into any of the characters, so I could not pay very close attention to the movie. I'm going to guess it's like the Freeman is what we're talking about. The Fremen. Oh, the, Fre- the Fremen, I guess. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I guess, I mean, there are obvious parallels to like the middle East and, sure. but I think that that's, I don't, I, it's science fiction. So I, I, uh, you know, things have to relate to our world. If it was completely alien to us, it would just be like, what the fuck am I watching? Which is what you get with the first Dune. You're like, what the fuck is this? Cultural appropriation also implies um, that it's being taken and utilized without any reverence for where it came from. And I don't know if that's true here either. Yeah, I, um, I, I wouldn't say it was, but again... I, I don't know, is the I thing. I don't know. Like, yeah. I feel like we are completely unqualified to answer this question. <laughs> yeah, like, somebody could say that it is, and, uh, you know, that's their opinion. Yeah, I, and, feel, I feel like you would have to ask somebody whose culture is being appropri- could be being appropriated here, whether it's yeah. appropriated or not. Like, no one's out there dancing the jig and having lucky charms 
And yeah, that, I deleted so. the scene where they like just go ham bone on like a whole thing of potatoes, and then they're like, <laughs> "Oh my god, I want to fuck these potatoes!" Like that, they go ham on all the potatoes, and they're like, "Oh my god, we ran out of potatoes!" Oh my god, the spice must flow. <laughs> spice equals potatoes. Um, yeah, yeah I don't know, uh, man. I really don't. Should I continue, or are we going to lay it to rest as <laughs> we have no? say in it i i i don't know oh yeah i think there's some there's some examples down here that i i would say sometimes imagination is a bit limited and we end up with jar jar's god awful god awful caribbean accent does jar jar's stupidity harm everyone in jamaica barbados and so on i don't think so but he's an idiot he's portrayed as like a moron who's incapable of even walking correctly that's where the problem comes in with him being this type of stereotype yeah, he, it it would be different if like all, like all of the Gungans were shown in the light that they're later shown in, where they're like actually like a functioning people with like yeah, but they're a like great, a bunch of morons. Yeah, yeah but and, like now it's like they're kind of like a like Jar Jar is like the face of it, and and he's an idiot. So sure. I, I I can see that one. I you know. And he he brings up the duplicitous Chinese-accented trade federation as an example of, like, a a genuine racial problem, and that's true as well. Right. I think we often get caught up in the idea that something has to be malicious to be wrong. Yeah. And my my parents said the N-word quite often, and there was no negativity behind it. That's just the word they grew up saying. It doesn't make it any less shitty that they did it. Yeah, things can become uh, not as okay as they were, and that's okay too. You know what I mean? Like, like we we I think we have to understand that like not everything is in a vacuum, and things change, and it's okay to realize that, and it's also okay to have that be a thing that happened one time and maybe we just don't do that anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm always I'm always a proponent of um like you can enjoy things that ha- from the past that are like problematic in one way yeah. or another. You just have to accept that they're problematic. Right. You if you recognize like like <laughs> Like Revenge of the Nerds or any eighties movie where you're like, oh wait a minute, there's some really fucked up shit in yeah, this. Like, absolutely. It doesn't yeah. mean that you can't ever touch that movie again. You just have right. to understand that right. there's some fucked up shit in it. You can just, at that part, be like, yeah, this is a really fucked up scene. <laughs> like there, there were people talking about... Um, I wish I remember the name of the comic. Uh, there's a, a publisher who's publishing this comic series from like the 50s. From this really well-known yeah. artist back then who... Um, he, there's some fucked up stuff in this comic. Some extremely racist shit. Yeah. And they did an interview with him where they were like, do you think, you know, it's it's your responsibility to sort of label this stuff as racist as you're putting right. it out because you're making money off of it and everything. And it is racist. Like, one of the characters is, like, literally colored yellow with giant buck teeth. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. and he was like, no, I mean, like, that's not my problem. I think it's everybody's and every, problem. And everybody was like, dude, all you really have to do is be like, say, yeah, this stuff is racist, there's still artistic value to it, though, and move on, and you would have been fine. Yeah, that's what they do with Looney Tunes, right? Yeah, like, there's, there's a, a little thing at the beginning yeah. that's like, and you that's, know... I think that's fine. I think absolutely. that's great. Yeah. Um, that's fine. 
Do I think that Dune has cultural appropriation? I have no idea. Do I think that Jar Jar Binks is kind of racist? Yeah. Do yeah. I think that the Trade Federation guys are racist? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a scale, right? Like, Oh, yeah. Like, Jar Jar is uh, less racist than the Chinese than the accented Trade Federation, fe- Trade Federation yeah. but that he's still pretty racist. I would say Dune is, again, I didn't, I didn't pick up on any. That's just my opinion. I don't. I'm a white male from America, so I know my opinion. We're, we're a little less learned. Same, we're right. a little less learned on this topic than is necessary. I we think. don't have the same life experiences as lots of other people do, and no. I more than I think. I think that's necessary to point out that like we're not dodging around a question because right. uh, we're scared to answer it or whatever. Right. We're dodge. We're dodging around the question because we should not be the ones to answer it. Right. It might not be <laughs> my turn to talk about this, and yeah. that's fine. That's okay with me. Like I, uh, there are a lot of people who would be able to answer this from a place where they would have like a solid, genuine answer, and I think being like, "No, this isn't racist," is definitely yeah. not my thing to say. Right? It could be. I, there could be stuff I didn't catch that I just have no reference to. You know, yeah, I, I don't know. I really kind of wish I would have paid better attention to the movie. Now, to be honest, <laughs> I didn't know I was going to get a question. I'm about assuming it. it's like the Fremen. Um, it could be. I. I I, again, it's it's a the, reference to the Middle East, and I I think that that's on purpose because the book was written in 1966, right? So it's that I'm not saying like that means it's like not racist or that it is racist. I'm just saying that obviously that's the reference that I I will Frank say Herbert's that like making. have re- having read through the rest of this message, we're not really going to get too deep into it or whatever. I think maybe you're requiring that things be like one to one, one. Way or the other yeah like things have to be one to one for you to think that it's racist and i think that's kind of a bad attitude to get into yeah it, not everything is like i said in a vacuum there isn't a easy answer to some of this stuff and there doesn't have to be an answer i can You're, just you're 100% right that Code of Honor comes to mind when you ask this question, though. Yeah, well, yeah. He, he was like, do you think there's cultural appropriation in Trek? And I figure Code of Honor comes to mind, and that's definitely where I my mind I wouldn't went. even so say it's cultural appropriation at that point. That's just full-blown, like... It's blatant like, racism, like, like I mean, propaganda-style racism. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I was going to say, it's like fucking, like, like Sambo shit, man. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? Like, it's just like, whoa, where did this come from? <laughs> Uh, I guess also, like, it's probably important to point out that cultural appropriation and racism are not the same thing. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, again, because I like, mean, there's cultural appreciation is definitely something like you you having a nice big meal of another racist food and being like, oh, this is great. That's cultural appreciation. Yeah, I would. I like you dressing that. up in in like a a blackface is is not. <laughs> Yeah, so, like, when you go to your seven-course, like, Middle Eastern meal, enjoy the fuck out of it. But when you go, go don't dress up in a turban or, like, whatever the fuck else. That would be cultural appropriation. That would be bad, yeah. Uh, And that is the extremely simplistic way we understand (laughs) this topic. If you put it in terms of food, I can understand. (laughs) Speaking of going wide and broad, our next email is from David S., Because I gotta do this accent. Okay. It's entitled Seasons Maskings. 
Will Velcro a vaguely Mesoamerican glyph to my chest and call me E-Hot if it ain't the Trek Boys? <laughs> boys, Deep Dish 9 is finally back to normal after a week of slow transformations and shitty allegory. Pork procured an ancient tablet of some sort of list on it. Nothing too out of the ordinary until people started getting the wrong orders from the replicators. Damn. They'd be ordering coffee or plow meek or what have you and grab a plate of spicy banging shrimp or a triple play, six crispy shrimp, two hand-breaded buttermilk chicken tenders, and a half rack of barbecue ribs making the ultimate feast served with two sides. I mean, what the fuck? We were just talking about food. <laughs> This is a food-ass email episode. Hungry. Now, I ain't one to try turning down something new, but then the seating and pork started to morph into booths with pleather cushions and an unbearably tacky light fixture started appearing around the station. As soon as folks started eating the meals and sitting in the booths, personality started to change. Folks were louder in a Klingon mosh pit, messier in a Tellarite on Riza, and smellier in a Breen's underdrawers. Do they wear them? I, no one knows. No one. It's the great mystery. Somehow there was a 40% increase in children crying or kneeling in the booths looking at the tables behind them or throwing crayons and kid menus all over. <laughs> it was like mayhem. A, this is like a fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> when I tried to ask a computer what the hell was going on, it just told me how about the burgers and sandwiches are served on toasted brioche bun with fresh shredded lettuce, onion, fresh tomato, and pickle chips. Oh, shit. Pickle chips. Served with a side of fries or tater tots. Gluten-free bun available for $1 extra made with 100% USDA choice beef. I I want tots. <laughs> I would also want tots. Yeah. I ran back to my quarters and found my usual hay-covered floor and hay bale seats converted into a carpeted floor with pleather booth seating and a weird Art Deco lamps. In one of the booths sat Captain Crisco himself looking over the tablet. He waves me over and acts a little surprised I don't have a pad. He points to the tablet and says, Well, I'll start with some mozzarella sticks and some extra marinara and a Coke. He thinks you're the waiter. Before I could slap him to his senses, I notice a mannequin next to me with a dark red button up, a black apron, and black slacks. Oh, I've seen shit. this uniform before. Oh, shit. Do you work here or not? asked Crisco, looking more irritated than a tack tack with their arms akimbo. <laughs> wow. I put Ruby and Twos together and realized <laughs> yeah. I gotta play the part. Ruby Tuesday. I don the uniform and take Crisco's order. He orders the hickory bourbon salmon, a grid, grilled salmon fillet glazed with bourbon <laughs> BBQ, served with two sides. Turns out the replicator's only making Pepsi, but he's fine with that. <laughs> That's a smart joke. That's clever. The replicator prints out a check, and Crisco leaves one hell of a tip and walks right out of my quarters. As suddenly as they came, the changes to the station all disappear, and everything looks like it's back to normal, save for the menu still on my nightstand. <laughs> Boys, what's your favorite family restaurant? Chili's? Applebee's? The old Ruby Tuesdays? Any horror stories? Well, oh, man. that was weird. Signed, David S. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. What's your favorite family restaurant? I used to like TGI Fridays. Um, they're all the same. They are all the <laughs> they're same. They're all the same, man. Like, 
I don't know. Applebee's is okay. I don't know. Yeah, they, we used to go to Applebee's fairly often because yeah. we lived in West Virginia and all of our relatives were West Virginians, so we went to Applebee's a lot. Yeah, well, we used to go too because they had that curbside shit, and that was cool to get if you were like really hungry but didn't yeah. want to like go into Applebee's. Crystal would always get a salad, the same salad she would get every time. Yeah. And a salad made her sicker than I'd ever oh, seen yeah. another human being. Yeah, I, I think I've told this story before. When we when I was a kid, we went to, uh, what was it, uh, Ponderosa. Went back oh, my Ponderosa. God. There's still uh, a Ponderosa in Huntington, West Virginia, That's incredible. I didn't think there were any. But <laughs> we were going to go eat at Ponderosa, then go to Toys R Us, because they're right there next to each mm-hmm. other. And I got so sick from Ponderosa, I couldn't handle going to Toys R Us. Like, I was in pain the whole time. And it was horrible. I, I went to a uh, Golden Corral for the third time in my life. Yeah. I went I went once Corral. myself with some friends just because I wanted to try it. Yeah. And then I never went of my own volition again. No, Golden Corral is the place you go to at like 5 in the morning when you're driving to Florida because there's nowhere else to <laughs> That's eat. That's it. That's all you do. Yeah. I went to I went to Golden Corral with my friends and um, I ate not that much food. Normally at a buffet, like I hog down, right? Yeah, Golden Corral though. But Ugh. Golden Corral is garbage, so I didn't it, eat much food at all. It tastes like it was fake at one point, and then somehow magic made it edible. <laughs> like that's got, what the food tastes like. I ran out into the parking lot halfway Ugh. through my tiny meal. And uh, got sick horrifically behind some dude's vehicle. <laughs> and the dudes were sitting in the window and saw me behind the vehicle and thought I was trying to get into it. <laughs> no, just puking on your car. And my, I was, like, way behind it in a bush. But, like, it, from their point of view, it looked like I was trying to break in. <laughs> and uh, my friends came out, and to their eyes, it's like, oh my god, two people ran out to try and help him break into our car. <laughs> <laughs> so they came out, and my roommate like f- threw me into the back seat of his car, and like peeled out to get away from these two guys. Does the whole not time, look suspicious. The whole time, I'm like, just let me tell him what happened. And he's like, no, they're mad. They're mad, dude. Wild. And then he was worried they were chasing us the whole time. (laughs) I was like, they're not chasing us, man. Your friend's fucking paranoid. Yeah, he's fully paranoid the rest of the night. Like, was that their truck? Was that the same truck? Dude's had some bad times at the Ponderosa. (laughs) I never went back to Golden Corral ever again. Yeah, Golden Corral's bad. Uh, We went there once. I guess I did go back once. My friend whose wedding I was in had, like, a dinner there. For everybody who was in the wedding, and I just didn't eat anything. (laughs) You can't. You can't. Once you have that experience, you can't. Yeah. So I just sat there, like, a little ups, my stomach a little upset, smelling the food they're eating, and just uh, waited until everyone was done. Food in quotes, by the way. Yeah, quote, quote unquote, food. Food, food like substances. F U with an umlaut over it, D. Food. Food. Hey, we're not getting that Golden Corral sponsorship anytime no. soon. Probably not. <laughs> it's okay. We'd have to eat there, and then you would die. We're not getting that cultural appropriation sponsorship either. <laughs> Damn. Damn it. <laughs> I 
I was banking on that. You were saying something about a Golden Corral experience. Oh, I, we just went there. Uh, we would go on vacation every year. Like me and my friends would go to the beach every year to Ocean City, Maryland, mm-hmm. and we were like idiot, like twenty. We were like just turned twenty one, right? So we were like, let's go to Golden Corral. I think we were just like wasted the whole time. And I sure. I remember just being like, this sucks. <laughs> like if you eat something when you're drunk and it sucks, that it's, shit sucks. It's sad, yeah. Because literally that whole week I was drunk the entire time. So I don't know. That's sad. Golden Corral, more like Golden Dookie eating poop. <laughs> I can't yeah. believe you roasted them that expertly, that Fuck, badly. Dude. They'll never recover. Golden Corral, if you'd like to sponsor this show, hit us up at mclassemail at gmail.com. Golden Corral, the place where your guts turn inside out. <laughs> we technically have mclassemails at gmail.com now. Someone snagged it for us. I just haven't claimed it yet. Oh, cool. Fuck. Well, we so, can't really switch now, can we? No. I think we're way too deep into this. Yeah, at this point. Who knows how much longer this fucking show is going to last? Who so. knows? Uh, thanks for that email, David S. They're all bad. All the family <laughs> restaurants are not good. They're they're not great. Although I will eat a fucking Applebee's salmon because whatever, it's good. Yeah, I do like a Sammy. Salmon. I'll take a, I'll take a Sammy. What's that next email, Josh? Uh, next one is from Lieutenant Fresh Fry. Yes. And it's called "Blessed Are the Bean Counters." Beans. <laughs> Hey, Trek boys. First off, colon, my mask dolences. Okay. It, it ended up not being as bad as I yeah. remembered it being. It wasn't that bad. But more importantly, I have a DS9 peyote for yous. Here we go. I'm ready. Quark sets up a display in the middle of his bar. It holds a clear jar filled with beans of jelly, like jelly beans. Okay, oh, I get it. A small squishy seed that is a delicacy on the planet of Jalibali. Oh, <laughs> that I might be cultural it. appropriation. That, yeah, be- <laughs> that planet is culturally appropriated. <laughs> As people gather and murmur around the display, Cork announces a contest. The person who can guess how many Jalibeans beans are in the jar without going over will win a 10 latinum prize pot and a lifetime pass to the hollow suite. Wow. wow. One of those is amazing. One of those sucks. 10 <laughs> latinum? 10 bars of latinum? If it's bars, now yeah. we're talking. If, if it's, it's like slips, uh... <laughs> uh, no thanks. I'll just Here's 10 cents, buddy. Yeah, you I'll win. Jalibeans. beans. Fuck it. Uh... <laughs> Bashir, O'Brien, Garrick, Jake, and Nog all enter, thinking winning will be a breeze. But at, but as the day till wait, as the day till the bean count draws near, got it. Quark keeps gaslighting and casting doubt on their answers. By the way, it costs one latinum to change your guess, which is added to the prize pot. Oh, that's fun. Mm. One bar. <laughs> One latinum. (laughs) (laughs) One latinum, please. Bashir and O'Brien try to solve the beam problem with math, but keep second-guessing themselves and accidentally invent a new discipline of science. Beanology. (laughs) We don't got that already. (laughs) (laughs) It's 24th century now, beanology. Odo goes to Garrick to find out what Quark's up to, but even Garrick is in the dark to it, and it's driving him mad and paranoid, while Jake and Nog try to... Try to sev- 
try several wacky heist hijinks to figure out the mystery of the beans, <laughs> but keep getting caught by Quark. I feel like Bashir would just rain man it. Yeah, Bashir would just know how many beans yeah. are in it with his superior bean brain. He's got bean brain. Finally, the beans are counted, but to the shock of all who have entered, the total is revealed to be far less than anyone had guessed. Quark then opens the bean and double reveals the inside of the jar hidden amongst the beans is a bag of regular earth-ass candy corn, which do not count toward the bean total. Wow. That's a scandal. <laughs> uh, and then I punch Quark in his fucking face. That's illegal. No, punching him is fine. The The scam is illegal. Sure. Quark then triple reveals that per the stipulates of the contest, which they all agreed to by looking at the jar. Wow, that's a binding contract. If all entries are found to have gone over the total, the contest holder, Quark, is awarded any and all prizes that would uh, be left unclaimed. When people complain, he pulls rule of acquisition number 17 on them. A contract is a contract is a contract. But then Rom quadruple reveals that he found one entry that didn't go over. Mourns. Who guessed one? The end. (laughs) Dude, mourn with the price is right. Fucking backstab. (laughs) Damn. How I guess you... 150. Damn, man. I am I'm in. That's great. I don't know if that constitutes like that, an entire episode, that's but that's like a, a great B plot. That's like a B plot. A great like, bean yeah. plot. Oh fuck. Oh my god. Hope you boys like that. Lieutenant Fresh Ride aboard the USS Battleship to Gumblin. <laughs> <laughs> Battleship to Gumblin. I like that. That was a great little story. <laughs> Our next email is uh, from Name Withheld. No, Curicle. There you go. Our next email is from Curicle, and it's entitled Glad to See M Class Isn't Anti Masks Anymore. Ha! Oh, we didn't even make a joke about that on the show. Oh, no, God, I'm glad we didn't. We really <laughs> dropped the ball. I'm always dropping the balls. Where? <laughs> mouth. In my mouth? Yeah. Yeah, let me open them up. <laughs> I'm a little scared to make it like an anti like associated with an anti-mask joke even because those fuckers will latch onto it and be like, We have a new ally! They hate masks! <laughs> like <laughs> that's like That's why like- we had to watch masks so that people would stop putting us into anti-masker. Yeah, we were getting <laughs> hashtag anti-masks and shit, right? Like- <laughs> no, we're talking about the episode, not masks. Welcome back, Trick Boys! Trick Boys! Well done beating off that piece of shit virus, Jeff. Kick its fucking ass with science. Yeah, you kicked its ass with science and sleeping. I beat it off. (laughs) Beat it right the hell off. Last episode, you declared that Neelix is better than COVID. Can the same be said about masks? Uh, Masks is better than COVID. Uh, Better than Neelix, too. Better than Neelix, yeah. (laughs) I had forgotten how utterly bizarre Masks is, but I can't say I hate it. It's awful, but I kind of love it. See? Don't think I'd go out of my way to watch it again anytime soon, though. See? (laughs) 
On another note, in the brief M-Class recovery period, uh, that's what they'll call it in the history books, <laughs> I was left anxiously awaiting more of the genius Rich Masters Voyager episodes and feeling inspired. As, sh- as such, I took a shot at reimagining the Voyager theme, one of the weaker ones in my opinion. I got some encouragement and input from the excellent Trek people at the M-Class Discord and would not have seen it to completion without them. See? If you have any other musical suggestions to give me inspiration, I would love the challenge and hope to hear some more M-Class music from the rest of the talented people in the community. Trekking gently into that good night. Curacle. P.S. I've attached the file, so please feel free to do with it as you please. I just saved it, so it'll be here uh, in the episode at some point. We'll play it. Uh, yeah, play it at the end of the episode. We'll do okay. like the normal sign off. I think you mentioned you mentioned that you're mentally ill, and then I put it's a whole thing now. I just keep adding stuff to it, and then you can add uh, the Curacle Voyager theme afterward, or maybe we should just do it as the ending theme. Yeah, well, I usually put those guys singing the It's Been a Long Time. Yeah, we'll put the Curacle Rich Masters Voyager as the ending theme okay. this time. All right. Thanks for writing in, and thanks so much for the piece of music. I'll have to listen to it after the show, but yeah. I'm sure it's dope. Yep, I haven't heard it yet, because this is the first time I logged on to Google. Here's a challenge to you. A challenge that no one has ever succeeded at yet. Okay. In my knowledge. You've taken the Voyager theme and redone it to make it better. Yeah. Now you have to take the Enterprise theme and redo it to make it better. They kind of did that. Well, they did it by making it about us. That's better. Yeah. What's better than us? <laughs> Name if, something better than us. If you can take the Voyager theme and somehow transpose it into a theme that kind of matches the other Star Trek themes, mm-hmm. I would be extremely impressed by that. I would love to hear that. I would love it. But we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Good luck out there. Good luck. You're going to need, need it. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. All right. What's that next email? New email. Uh, who is this from? Oh, man. Name withheld upon request. Name I'm going to say... Uh, Ro? Ro. We'll just call them Ro. Sure. Uh, he- Hattie. Oh, Rado. 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 Rado, okay. Hattie Trek Boys. What? Oh, howdy. I get it. This is going to be hard for me to read because I can't read regular English very well. (laughs) Hattie Trek Boys, December edition. Uh, There's a para thingy here. I think Uh, this might be a similar topic. I think this might be a similar topic. If you guys already touched on a live-action Megman, please skip this email. Thanks, and keep on emailing. (laughs) No, we have not talked about the live-action Megaman yet. I don't think... Okay, okay. First off, everyone just pretend Jeff is doing a respectable Native American man's voice when he reads this email. I'm just going to do my voice. Yeah, you're making a decision that I also made recently, so uh, cool. Yeah. I'm just going to just read the email and not try to do anything. <laughs> I'm sure he would be great at it. I mean, I get it. However, we all watched Reservation Dogs on Star and Hulu, so it's cool. We did? 
What the uh, fuck is Reservation Dogs? It's a show about a Native American teenagers, I think. But is it a reality um, show or, or I, I think the ability no, it's like a scripted okay. show. I think the ability to watch a show with a different people in it doesn't mean I can no. do the other people's accent. That's exactly what the first email was talking about. <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm native, and that will give M Class Podcasts an AOE buff to not be canceled. <laughs> mm, well, I'm ho- I'm hopeful I, that M Class won't be canceled in I, general. I appreciate the uh, the cultural high five we're doing. Good job, everybody. We like each other. <laughs> there we go. It was it? very well tiptoed around. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Rado here. Big fan of Netflix's Japanese IP adaptations. <laughs> there you go, buddy. Here we go. With the recent cancellation of the Cowboy Bebop due to criticism, of which I feel bad for the actors, they did a job. They did a job, and some of them are being bullied from their work. Well, that's horseshit. That's always fun. Yeah, that's, that's terrible. However, Netflix are still going forward with some different shows, like Masters of the Universe. Uh, Arcane and the recently announced live action Mega Man. <laughs> I've not heard. <laughs> I've yeah. not heard of live action Mega Man. Yeah, they've been talking about this for years. Yeah, they were talking about Cowboy Bebop for years too, and look where that got us. So, oh yeah, great. So I thought of Jeff and wondered what he would like to see slash predict Netflix do with their live action adaptation. If Josh and Jeff were armchair CEO executives, which we are, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how would they perceive? To bring their live-action Mega Man to life. Uh, I don't know. Here's uh, here's what I would do. Cut, man. <laughs> Here, here's what I would do. Uh, nothing. I would not do it. I would, you I would do go ahead action? and red light that one. Put that one back in the bin. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I don't think Mega Man is, like, strong enough in any of its, like, themes that it could be like a show i know there's people who are already typing angry emails well i am right now well like the thing is the original the original mega man game every adaptation of the original mega man series has been sort of based on the imagination of the person who played the game when they were younger yeah like the absolute best one being mega man mega mix which is like sort of it's like my favorite type of robot fiction which examines sort of man's inhumanity through robots yeah and uh, it's also just like a really heartfelt action series where all the characters have really strong personalities. But that's a comic book. Right. And all the characters are drawn cartoony, like anime style. And that, uh, or manga style, I guess, since it is a manga. But, like, that works perfectly. These character designs, these characters and what they are don't translate from video game to live action. That's, like... The number one thing with video games, any anything is like, like I think The Witcher is an exception, but only because The Witcher was books and like a lot of that stuff sure. came from the books. But like, I, lots of video games, it's you can't make live action of them. It just it doesn't work right. I think for the reason like you just said, it's because you're imagining the story in your head as a player, and as a show, you gotta show the story, and it's not it doesn't always translate right. And the the manga has the the reason Mega Man Mega Mix works is it doesn't adapt adapt the video games 
one after another. Like, every story is the next video game, because all the Mega Man classic games are the same story, pretty much. Yeah, Dr. Wily makes some evil robots, and he tries to take over the world. The comic has the ability to pick and choose points in the history of the games that are interesting to make stories about. Uh, a movie would just have to be like, this is what happens in Mega Man 1... I'm going to raise the stakes here as executive. Sure. I'm going to say live action Captain N. And it's like... Oh. And it's I'm like, going to veto this. No, no, no. You wait. <laughs> you wait. Shush. Okay, okay. I'm sure. And it's like Scott Pilgrim, Edgar Wright-esque, where it's just like goofy and like ridiculous. Uh, and do we have like... Are we doing like Mega Man, Kid Icarus, CG? Uh, no, well, maybe Mega Man's, like, a kid. I don't like to see... Because Mega Man and Captain N's, like, a, like, weird... He's, like, a small man. Yeah, he's talking like that. That's weird, yeah. He says Mega all the time. Mega, Mega. Yeah, which, what? (laughs) I guess because he never talked, right? Uh, yeah, not to that point in the games. There's a Uh, great... In Mega Man 7, there's a great part where he points his buster at Dr. Wily, and he's like, I'm gonna do what I should have done years ago. And you're like, holy shit, you're 10. What are you doing? That's dope. (laughs) Hell yeah. Murder this guy. (laughs) Um, That was only in the American version, mind you. (laughs) Oh. Oh, jeez. I don't... Make a Mega Man cartoon. Take Mega Man Mega Mix. You already have the perfect version of Mega Man to me. Better than all the games, all the sequels to the games, every other adaptation. Mega Mix is my favorite. One of my favorite comics, period. Take that, make an anime. Mm -hmm. Just like you do with every other manga in Japan. You take a manga and you make an anime of it. You adapt it directly. Right. Do that, and you'll have a hit. Like Kids will love that. Yeah, I... I don't know. I, I feel like Netflix like really doesn't want to make animated shows, but like look at the animated shows they did make. Like they're really good. She-Ra like, is amazing. Yeah, Arcane is the highest rated thing Netflix has made in like yeah. five years. Master of the Universe uh, kind of had a, a Cowboy Bebop reaction to it, where people were like, well, "They're stupid." It's but good. It's good. It was really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just because something isn't. And, like, I don't know the Cowboy Bebop thing, so I'm not talking about it, but I'm talking about the Masters of the Universe continuation. Just because it's not what you wanted it to be doesn't mean it's not good. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) I just don't think Mega Man works in live... Here's the thing. If you have an IP that no one can cosplay because it'll look stupid... That's a bad idea. You can't translate that to a live-action film. Cosplayers are better at making live-action versions of things than studios are. So if they can't do it, you can't do it. <laughs> Why aren't they doing Metroid instead? Metroid makes way more Nintendo sense. is so tight on their IPs. Ever since the Super Mario Brothers movie, they are so tight with their IPs. Yeah, I mean, I get Metroid it. is perfect. Like, here's yeah. the perfect Metroid thing to me. Like, Gendy Tartakovsky... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fully animated. He's oh. fully in charge of it. It's I'm, exact- in. I'm in. All you had me at Gandhi. I'm in. It's it's in the style of Samurai Jack and the Clone Wars, the oh. Gandhi style, and it's like Samurai Jack, extremely minimal dialogue. You follow the story along with Samus from I'm, the action and the adventure. I'm gonna number three my cum diaper if you keep talking like this. 
I I did not want to bring cum diaper into this podcast, but this here it is. This one's the one where you can say that. Uh, could that be cultural appropriation so we won't do it? <laughs> For diaper furries? I don't know. <laughs> the um, Metroid would make an absolutely perfect animated series to I me, could even see Metroid even being it, it's just better even for live action too it is it, absolutely better for live action because it can be dark and it can be like weird and Mega Man isn't like that Mega Man isn't I mean Mega Man gets like weirdly like teen edgy from Mega yeah, Man X te- onwards but teen edgy isn't like but you're not making Mega yeah. Man X they're yeah. making Mega Man but even teen edgy is like that would work but it, it's it, <laughs> It's. Nef- I know what Netflix. I mean, is like, do. no matter how edgy you get, you can still end up with a fucking turd because, like, yeah. the they Death Note was as edgy as you could get, and they made it even more edgy, and it was everyone said it was absolute garbage. Yeah. Oh man, Death Note. That was like, wow, that was like ten years ago. Yeah. The yeah. um, I don't. I just don't think Mega Man is works in live action no matter yeah. which way you slice it. I don't think and there are people who are like, oh they should do Mega Man X in live action. I still don't think that would work. It's yeah, like, I, I don't see it. It's ad- it's like it's not adapting Ghost in the Shell to live action where right. all the characters are already designed to look correct with like human proportions. Yeah, how would they look in Mega Man? That's it's like trying thing. it's like yeah. trying to adapt Digimon to live action. Yeah. It's just not going to work. Yeah, I, I agree. Netflix is simultaneously like extremely critical of the stuff that they put out and also just shotgunning fucking shows out of their dickhole, dude. They're just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. But then like also like not everything's Stranger Things, right? Like Stranger Things no. was a smash. Like the first second it They're still out. trying for that though, right? To try and hit that Stranger Things yeah, level. Yeah, but like sometimes a show is just kind of good. And it doesn't yeah. have to be, like, amazing. Well, know? that's the problem like, with Netflix is, like, if you don't perform to that level or near it, they're going to cancel you. It's Like, crazy. instantly. It's crazy, man. I mean, they canceled Sabrina, and it was like, just finish the show! There's, like, one more season, guys! Yeah, S- Sabrina was definitely, like, a fairly quality show that had yeah. a pretty big fan base. Yeah, I liked it. Nope. If you're gonna, If you're going to adapt... I have a dream, right, that'll never be realized. Okay. It's, you get special effects crews from Alien. Okay. This movie has to be made in the 1980s, by the way. Sure. You get the special effects crew from Alien, and you team them up with the special effects crew from Terminator. You bring in Arnold Schwarzenegger. You bring in Sylvester Stallone. Oh, jeez. You bring in just a bomb-ass composer. You make Contra. Contra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That is the dream film for me that never got made. A 1987 Contra. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Let me make sure Contra came out before that. <laughs> I think it was 87. 88, maybe? Contra release date, 1987. So, yeah. yeah, the movie had to have come out 88, 89. Yeah. It, uh, Even, yeah, it could maybe squeak it in the early 90s. There's some good action movies yeah, in the early 90s. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. That's like, 
the missing link for me when it comes to yeah. action films. Contra would have been perfect. Maybe they'll do it and they'll just de-age them. <laughs> oh, God. Super weird. Aliens. Contra is a fairly simple so- setup for an action film. Aliens invade Earth and only the two greatest yep. fucking army men of all time Shoot. can stop I know what, it. I know what they're going to do to ruin it. I can already see what they're going to do to ruin it. It would be uh, like uh, the two greatest action stars and they'd have names like... Uh, uh, Sylvester S- 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 oh. Stallman, you know. Oh, so like, they're like trying to play yeah. off the like it's the two biggest stars yeah. of the time. They get they would definitely they good. would definitely ruin it. I think they would still keep the names because they're such American action movie names already. Yeah, like the main dude's name is Bill Riser, <laughs> and the secondary guy's name is Lance something. I forget. <laughs> Lance, nothing more American than a Lance. Uh, I, I wish I remember. Continues. Sorry, go ahead. Lance Bean. Speaking of beans. <laughs> what the fuck is going on today? Anyway. Lance Bean. Uh, Ra- Rabo says, I mean, I would totally put in Tomahawk Man as the lead robot master because he's cool. He is cool. Uh, I'd offer some peyote, but I gotta save that uh, for the ceremony later, <laughs> <laughs> I got it. I got there. Took me a second. Merry Christmas and non-dominational Space New Years. Thank you so much. That was a good email. I that like. was a good email. I, yeah. I I will say I've always been a huge fan of the fact that like Mega Man 6 is like the world warriors. Yeah, that one's hard, too. Mega Man, where like every robot master is from a specific country, and they yeah. were all made to be like the next Mega Man, and right. Dr. Wily steals them to turn against him. And America's robot master is Tomahawk Man, a Native American style robot yeah, master. Yeah, could have easily. And I always thought that was like cool. Lance Bean Man could have been Gun Man. <laughs> he pretty much has Gun Man as a regular enemy on the level. It's like a uh, robot that has a revolver for an arm, and he's wearing a cowboy hat. He's That's a regular cool. enemy. <laughs> That's cool. It could have been that guy, but he's Tomahawk like, Man is way cooler. He's like Bluegrass from Silverhawks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the country is to me. He's a country space guy? I don't know. <laughs> he's got a, a reed of hay in his mouth all the time, but yeah. he's in space? He's, Where's that come from? the hay? I don't know. Hey. Uh, thanks for that email. We're never going to do that accent. Stop trying. <laughs> uh, our last email, as is quite often the case, is from Rich Masters. Oh, shit. I don't like and the it's title in- of this. It's entitled The Conclusion, Maybe. I haven't yeah. finished the email yet, so who knows? <laughs> he sent me a mess, a DM earlier when we were doing M class, and he was like, I hope I get this in before you guys finish. Dude, he doesn't He's, ever have to do that. Like, No, he doesn't. And I tell him that every time, and he's always like, no, 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 We're not, that's not our, how we work. Yeah, I'll point out that he sent this three hours ago, so he was so ahead of the curve. Oh, well, that, what is that, in London? It's like, what, like nine there now, right? Yeah, something like that. Nine or ten, I don't know how their daylight savings works over there. It's uh, it's about nine. Yes, okay, yeah, three, it's 3.51 on the East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> Boys. I'll get straight to it, because this is long, and I finished it late. Nice. You didn't. Previously on Star Trek Voyager. 
following a fight in the Badlands, a Maquis shuttle led by Lon Suter and a Cardassian warship led by Gull Cote are interrupted by a being from another part of the universe called Neelix. Mm. He's looking for Starfleet assistance. In response to an increased Cardassian presence, various vessels arrive at the scene. The Klingon Decrell, captained by Maral, coming into constant conflict with her daughter and chief engineer, Balana. The Romulan warbird Terex, led by old warhorse commander Braylam and his junior officer, Centurion Herakim. And the state-of-the-art Voyager, led by Cardassian border war hero-slash-villain, Catherine Janeway. Nice. Along with disgraced pilot-slash-murder prankster, Nick Lacarno. Murder prankster! That was in the last one, and yeah, I love it so yeah. much. <laughs> I want that on my business card. <laughs> murder prankster. Starfleet intelligence operative Tuvok and a hologrammatic CMO. After battling, the three ships are pulled across the galaxy and irreparably damaged, and confronted by a similarly damaged Borg cube with seven of nine in command. Oh, yeah. She tells the crew that the damaged Borg ship is the only thing keeping the other ships intact. But in this series, um, the the Borg have one titty out. All at all times. Yeah. It's where a port mm, is. They plug an the artistic good. decision. Yeah, it's very tasteful. Trust me. Oh, it's fully tasteful because there's a port where the nipple would yeah. be. Yeah. You can show that in 90s television. Yeah, it's like tasty. It works. The crew is split and alliances are being formed, with Belana taking control of the Klingon ship and forming an engineering crew with Herakim to repair the Borg ship and stop their mutual destruction. Janeway and Lacarno go to the Dorvan, where a battle has broken out between the Cardassians and the Maquis. Tuvok leads Voyager, unaware that the Romulan commander has reprogrammed the EMH. And while this is happening, Seven of Nine has sent a distress call to the Borg fleet that is on its way to assimilate our heroes. Heroes? We'll go with heroes. Oh man, I forgot there's like seven Borg cubes coming. Shit's fucked. Shit is fucked. And now, the conclusion. On the Dorvan, the invading Borg drones have started their attack, assimilating the Cardassian crew. Bye, losers. <laughs> the joint Maquis, Starfleet, and Cardassian survivors move between the attacks, trying to stay undetected. Despite some reservations that Janeway is potentially leading his crew into a trap, Chel Cote states that they need to move quickly. To where, Lon Suter asks, the Borg have cut off comms and transporters on this ship. Neelix suggests the Cardassians still have his short-range vessel in their docking bay, and it should be enough to accommodate their team and transport them to any ship, as long as they head to the Laxian ship first. Chell is torn. He wants to stay and fight, but his crew are lost to the Borg. Janeway tells him that they'll help them any way they can. Kote agrees, but his eyes narrow at the Starfleet captain. <laughs> Title, Pilgrimage, Part 3. A three-parter. Maybe. We're not at the end of it yet. Could be a quad-parter. Over on the Borg Cube, the joint Romulan and Klingon engineering crews are removing destroyed tech and piling it in the corners of the room to repair some of the Borg energy losses. Harakim overseeing the efforts. A Borg drone approaches and inquires why the discarded equipment has not been sent to reclamation yet. Harakim explains that they don't know the extent of the damage on the vessel, and Romulans don't throw useful tech out. The Borg drone seems satisfied, but after he's gone, a Klingon brings a piece of the discarded tech to Harry Kim, who orders it secretly beamed to the Voyager. What? 
Just like throwing your leaves in your neighbor's yard. <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck you, Joe. It's your problem now, Bob. <laughs> Bellana and Seven arrive on the Decrell in order to gain parts for the Borg's, Borg Cube's repair. The parts are collected, but Seven doesn't notice the Klingon engineer transporting a number of other parts to Voyager. Mm. Once the uh, once the other for the cube are sent, mm-hmm. they make their way back to the transporter room, only to be met with an armed security detail. They take the drone and engineer to sickbay, where her mother, Maral, is waiting. Oh, no. Those loyal to Bellana have been executed or imprisoned along with the Romulan doctors, and Miral has been reinstated as leader from her recovery bed. You fool, Bellana challenges. You'll get us all killed. <laughs> I would rather die than dishonor this house, this ship. Maybe you would realize that if you were a pure-blooded Klingon. Wow, that's fucking racist considering that she fucked a human. Yeah, that's your fault, yeah, dumb dumb. What? The fuck are you, what? <laughs> I grow tired of this. Let me kill her, declares Seven. Damn, yeah, fuck it, with her tit <laughs> hanging out. Bellana explains they may need the ship, reluctant to let her crew die. Seven instead threatens to remove the Borg shields from the Klingon vessel, leaving them to be ripped apart by the transwarp corridor. Considering her limited options, Maral tells Bellana that she can take her band of traitors and Romulans and get off the ship. She is banished. Oh, man. On Voyager, Tuvok notices that there are certain systems, sensors, environmental, that are showing small failures. He orders a diagnostic. From sickbay, the doctor works around these diagnostics as he covertly transfers essential systems to sickbay's control under Braylim's command. Good boy, he says to the EMH, just like a pet. The EMH gets a boner. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just adding fan fiction. No, I, I mean, I, I envisioned it. Disembarking from Neelix's craft, Janeway, Kote, Suter, and their crews enter the Talaxian vessel Legacy. Neelix tells them it was a colony vessel designed for four to five hundred families to sit on, to live on. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Where are they then? asks Suter, clutching his rifle and feeling like this was a mistake. Neelix explains he will show them, but warns them to stay out of the communal areas. In one of the central commissaries, he opens the blast shields to show that all the Talaxians, over 5,000 of them, are now Borg. Dude. You, that's fucked up. This guy's driving a zombie taxi around. (laughs) Kote slams Neelix into the glass, demanding an explanation. You don't understand, he admits. We were becoming extinct, so the ship doubled up as a science vessel devoted to rid us of the Borg. Whatever we could do, electromagnetic disruption, sabotage, ultimately we came up with this. Assimilating thousands of our own people who had been infected with a disease. A disease that could spread among the Borg population. These people, their families, they volunteered. These children. Locarno is almost speechless. How did they consent to this? Yeah, you killed a kid, though. (laughs) Yeah, but that was a prank. 
<laughs> just, dude, it's just a prank. It's just a prank, bro. Dude, just a prank. Get over it. In, in rage, Neelix doesn't appreciate the clue on his people. How dare you, he spits. My people know we must do anything, everything to destroy the Borg. They have decimated us. Every person, old, young, sick, healthy, would give everything and everyone they love to destroy the Borg. Janeway steps in and explains they can't let him free these diseased Borg. But Neelix tells her he wouldn't be stupid enough to tell her about this if he were able to be stopped. Mm -hmm. A timer starts, and he suggests they get off the ship before the drones the Borg Cube sent get here and find them too. Yep. I did it 35 minutes ago, Janeway. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, what's his name, Vite? Ozymandias. Ozymandias, yep. Uh, I probably butchered that, but Seven and Bellana have retrieved the parts from Voyager they need and are about to beam back to the cube when Tuvok stops them, pointing out that Janeway and her team haven't checked in and are unavailable on comms. Seven lies and says they know nothing about it. As she heads to the transporter room, Bellana gives Tuvok a nod, and he passes her a small device. What? Back on the cube, Harakim and his team are finished, and as Seven and Bellana arrive, they share a look. The repairs are almost done, Harakim announces. There's just some rudimentary cleanup to finish. The team is suddenly surrounded by Borg drones who mean to kill the entire engineering team. But Balana activates the device Tuvok gave her, transporting everyone back to Voyager. What? Midstream, Seven grabs hold of Balana and is transported with them. Bye! <laughs> They materialize on Voyager's bridge, where Seven is immediately confined to a force field. Janeway asks if Balana's mission was a success, and the Klingon confirms that everyone did as ordered. With a thought, Seven instructs the cube to shut down the shields, but Voyager has put up shields of their own to protect the vessel from the transwarp corridor, so the threat is useless. <laughs> Seven is enraged and demands to know what happened. Harakim tells the drone that while his team had been investigating the Borg transwarp shielding, he had been transporting the schematics back to Voyager so that they could use them too. Bellana and Tuvok had been gathering and installing the components in turn. Now Voyager has advanced Borg tech. Oh my god! Neelix smugly instructs Seven that she could just destroy them with all their weapons. Seven tries, but she cannot communicate with the cube. I told you, Neelix declares, the sacrifice was worth it. Your people, drone, are done for. The poison will be slow, painful, as then it spreads, you'll all feel as helpless as the children you've assimilated. Wow, this Neelix is way better than the real Neelix. This Neelix is fucking hardcore. This Neelix fucks. Janeway gives the order to the fleet. It's time to leave. The Borg Cube doesn't need Seven to know there's something wrong and gives chase, testing the ship's new shielding with its weapons. Using the chaos as a distraction, the Doctor uses his CMO codes to declare a medical emergency and transfers the captaincy to himself, (laughs) immediately providing all command codes to Braylum. The Romulan captain opens a comm channel to the Terex and asks his operation chief how the ship is. Repairs are almost complete. Weapons and shields are now online. Shame, says Braylon before uttering a phrase in Romulan. The ship enters a a 10-second self-destruct sequence. What is this guy's problem? And transports only the Romulan crew that are 100% loyal to him over to the Voyager. 
On the bridge, the crew watches as the Terex decelerates and explodes. It's singularity-fed warp drive creating a gigantic explosion that appears as if it has engulfed the Borg ship following them, only for the cubes to navigate the explosion unscathed. Nice try, butthole. On the bridge, as the cube resumes the attack, Janeway gives Tuvok the order to take Harakim and find Braylam, but Harakim is already gone. Hmm. Seeing that her daughter's new home is under attack, Maral gives the order to attack the cube in a pointless effort to save her. In return, a Borg cutting laser targets the weakened ship, venting the bridge and the crew, including Maral, into space. That's the that's the slowest way to die. That fucking sucks. That would it literally sucks. Sucks you out. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Bilana is distressed, naturally. Yep. The cube returns its fire to Voyager. Its phasers falter as a result of the virus, but the cube instead fixes the ship with a tractor beam. There's not much time left. Harakim enters sickbay in a rage about his murdered countrymen and confronts his mentor, who rationalizes the deaths of the unloyal men and women of the crew by saying they would not have accepted any joint mission with Starfleet, Klingons, or Cardassians. Harakim is incensed and says there isn't any justification for their deaths. He tells Braylon that he thought he, a free-thinking man, who would teach a new Romulan way, but he's just a Romulan in a more self-serving way. Oh, that's the worst kind of Romulan. I said it. Uh, they're all bad. Braylon tells <laughs> You know what? Don't like him. Braylon tells him that he's naive, that trying to save everyone is a fool's mission. Harakim attacks his captain, and a, fake, a fight breaks out between them. Yes. Initially, it seems as though young Harakim would win, as he points his disruptor at his commander. But the old war horse acts on the young man's hesitation and subdues him, throwing the disruptor to the door. You owe me a debt, boy. You swore an oath to me when you joined my crew. If you care anything about the Romulan way, you should care about that. Harakim's honor will not allow him to obey, disobey any longer, and he agrees. Braylam says they will take command from Janeway and let them serve the Empire. I don't think the, he's going to let him do that. <laughs> the two of them leave sickbay. Suddenly, Tuvok arrives, picks up the disruptor, and kills Braylam immediately. Wow. There you go. Wow. I didn't mean to peek my mic so hard, but that shocked me. <laughs> Jesus. Dead. In the run, Tuvok, cold as ice, immediately starts blasting Dost, when he arrives. Vidanya. <laughs> Why is in he the Russian? Romulan, I don't know. In his deep, in his coal black heart, Tuvok is Russian. <laughs> in the Romulan's last act, he reaches out to Harakim, but the young man cannot help. Thank you, the Centurion says, shocked at the Vulcan's brutality. I couldn't do it. Don't think me so quickly, Centurion. It is my understanding that saving your life in such a way binds you to me now. Uh-oh. Harakim nods sheepishly as Tuvok continues. Then you will tell the captain that Braylon went to attack me and I was forced to kill him. Why? asks Harakim. Because if we survive this, we will have much work to do. Damn, Tuvok says. Tuvok. I think I see something happening with old Tuvok. Old Tuvi. Locarno says he has an idea, something a bit risky. We can kill the kid. 
<laughs> no, no, he didn't say that. He can vent the coolant interlocks through the tractor beam, then ignite the plasma, much as they tried during the Cold War starburst attempt that got his cadet friend killed and him expelled. Uh-oh. It's like the Riker maneuver, but stupider. The Locarno maneuver, where you kill another member of your crew for no reason. <laughs> Casualty rate, 30%. Acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> Janeway is pleased he's finally thinking recklessly and tells him to do it. The plasma snakes up the Borg tractor beam and Locarno ignites it, knocking the tractor beam out and setting the Borg ship aflame in a series of massive explosions. As the Borg ship is destroyed, the, the convoy of Alpha Quadrant ships are ejected from the transwarp corridor and come to a halt, the threat over for now. Let's get to work, Janeway orders. I read that in her voice. I could feel that. Janeway calls Neelix into her ready room, such as it is. The damage from the attack has meant half the room is burned. She asks him to sit and gets him a coffee from the replicator. He says he doesn't know if he'll like it. The aroma is bitter. <laughs> Sometimes bitterness grows on you, Mr. Neelix, she tells him. That though his, she tells him that though his plan is ultimately meant they got away from the Borg fleet, she finds his actions reprehensible. I'm a soldier, Captain, and forgive me for saying, but the Borg are fighting a war. You Alpha Quadranters just haven't realized it sitting so far behind the front lines. Janeway eyes him over her coffee. Is that why you brought us all here? Neelix, to his credit, doesn't deny it. I told you Talaxians were good at using the Borg's transwarp networks. I used the transwarp corridor and brought any ship that came near the hole I punched into your space over to our side and used you as a distraction. Who else knows? Gull Kote and myself, she admits. Although word gets around on a ship so small, and it's recently gotten a whole lot smaller. Neelix is going to be hated because he's a dick. Neelix rises. I guess I'd better be on my way then. Janeway stops him. Not so fast. You stranded us here, in Borg space, with no obvious way home and a hundred-year journey ahead of us. We're going to need a navigator, a traitor, someone who knows the hiding places in the Delta Quadrant, who'll be willing to do the nasty things we can't. Neelix isn't impressed, and asks what's in it for him. To which Janeway replies the alternative is she'll take him anyway and lock him in the brig for the next 100 years. <laughs> The new navigator grimaces. <laughs> That's good. I warn you, Captain. I won't negotiate with Borg. As far as I'm concerned, everyone but that freak show you have in your medical bay are dead drones walking. Janeway tells him she's counting on it. Freak show. Yeah, with her tit hanging out. <laughs> Freaky show. Fuck. Tuvok tells new chief engineer Bellana Torres to reinstall the doctor. He's now been purged of the command codes Braylam installed, but she has uploaded the medical database from all the ships into him. Who instructed you to do that? Tuvok asks. This is an engineering concern, not security. He needed upgrading with all the medical files. Got a problem? Take it up with Janeway. Yeah. She activates the EMH as Tuvok leads, and a hybridized Klingon, Romulan, Cardassian, and human doctor appears. Yeah. How in the fuck would you show that? I'm trying to imagine it. Like, he's like gray with the sort of like the head things, with the ears, and his human dick. Mm. He's a human dick. Ah, <laughs> oh, poor guy. <laughs> Do Bellana asks him how he's feeling. 
A new man, he quips. You've upgraded my memory capacity by about 400%. Bolana says he'll need it with all the new crew and leaves him to tend to one of his patients, the unconscious Seven of Nine. As he revives her, Seven tells him she cannot hear the collective at all anymore and starts to become angry and distressed. The EMH tries to reassure her, but ultimately has to sedate her. He catches his own reflection in the sick bay window, wondering how the two of them will cope with their new identity issues. Yeah, sure gonna suck being a weird-looking bald guy. Not that anymore. <laughs> Trust me, we know. <laughs> Lon Suter joins Nick Lacarno in the mess hall. At first, Lacarno objects, but Suter points out that they're both outcasts and has embraced the fact that neither of them are likely to make any friends anytime soon. Noting, noticing that Suter is in a uniform, but importantly not a Starfleet one, Nick inquires what Janeway has asked him to do. They had a unit in the old days called Mako, Makos. he smiles. I'm heading up the new Mako team, separate from Starfleet, separate from the Maquis. Consider us Janeway's chief skullcrackers. <laughs> Doesn't sound like the Starfleet I know, Locarno admits. Look around. Suter nods to the Klingons eyeing the Romulans, the Cardassians eyeing the Maquis. This isn't Starfleet. This is a powder keg. Better to be in it with the people with the biggest club. He leaves, and Locarno is left to consider this. Suter's gonna start loving killing people. He do- he already fucking He's loves killing people. Secret lover of murder. <laughs> He's a secret murderer, unlike Nick Locarno. He's a murder prankster. <laughs> Janeway heads to Chelcote's new quarters, watching as the mixed engineering crew installs paneling and systems from the other ships. She announces herself, and after a few seconds, Cote tells her to enter. He's putting his uniform on, and she notices the burns covering his torso, no doubt from their encounter years ago. He catches her staring, and explains that though he could get them fixed, they're a reminder he doesn't want to forget. A reminder of what? Janeway asks. He explains that on Cardassia, they have a saying that when you extend a hand into a spider's lair, you can't be angry if you get bitten. Janeway takes a deep breath, and Chell asks her what's bothering her. She explains that she's worried she might have involved too many spiders onto her. She might have invited too many spiders onto her ship, and statistically, she's going to get at least one bite. <laughs> When asked why she's confiding in him, Janeway responds that she's already done the worst she could to Kode, so the only way for their relationship to go is up. Do you regret your actions on Dorvan 5, Janeway, he asks. She thinks about it, then shakes her head. I was young, naive. I could and should have handled it better, but I was given my orders and had my people to protect. I couldn't second-guess myself. Good. Cote smiles. If my children and soldiers had died for nothing, I would have killed you right there. <laughs> Janeway offers her hand. I want you to be my first officer, to keep me honest, to be our, my reminder to consider another way. Into the spider's lair, Catherine? Chell smirks before taking her hand. I accept. When Janeway leaves, Seska steps out from the next room. She asks why he accepted her offer. Because, daughter, she's already been bitten. She just doesn't know it yet. Oh, no! Some Vegeta-ass shit. (laughs) 
48 hours later, the damage to the other vessels has been made all made them all but uninhabitable. But the engineering crews have been working around the clock to repair Voyager, integrating other systems into the Starfleet vessel. It looks like a Frankenstein's monster now. Klingon, Romulan, and Cardassian hull plating overlapping Starfleet designs. They got a Klingon. Oh no, that ship blew up. Yeah. Everything good blew well, up. They some got of all the Cardassian ships have cloaking devices. Klingon they only have this. garbage. They only have <laughs> shit. Belana enters the bridge and heads over to Janeway. She's ready, Captain. Every part of the vessel is substantially different than when you left space dock, but it all works. Janeway commends Belana, telling her she's a genius to have done this so quickly. Belana's shocked. She's never received praise like this from her from a mother figure before. Mm-hmm. Janeway offers her the chance to be her chief engineer. She then gives Locarno the order to head for the Alpha Quadrant at maximum warp. Chell interrupts the orders and tells Tuvok to first scuttle the Klingon, Talaxian, Cardassian, and Maquis vessels they left behind. Janeway nods. Voyager departs, leaving explosions, not to mention their past, in its wake. The Borg fleet arrive at the scene of the destroyed Borg ship. More Borg. And de- and downloads the feed from the battle. The Queen watches it played back, but is disinterested in the Borg ship, instead watching the new, hybridized Voyager with its experimental new systems. A hodgepodge of technologies that she hadn't encountered before. With a new technology on offer, and a poison running through the collective, she gives a mental order to pursue Voyager. The end. Oh no! That's such a fucking dope setup. Where's the question mark? The end? (laughs) Not only are our heroes, sure, let's call them heroes. Yeah, they're heroes. Headed back towards the Alpha Quadrant at top speed, but they're also being chased by the Borg Cube. So not only is it like a we have to return home thing, but they also have to stay ahead of a force that's hunting them. Yeah, this is a... This is way better than the show. <laughs> yeah, I know absolutely. we say that every week that he writes these, but I mean, this is really cleverly thought out, and you know, without Voyager existing, obviously the the roadmap wouldn't be there. So I guess good job, Voyager. But also, Rich, <laughs> you're the man. So make this be real. Do it. Go. Use your magic British wizard powers. Yeah. <laughs> That you got from unaffiliated wizarding school, no <laughs> copyrights, to make this the real world that you and got, not just fantasy. You got from non-transphobic wizarding academy. <laughs> uh, yeah, use your powers and make this real, damn it. Yeah. This is like, uh, I'm extremely interested in how the show would go after this, but again... You are required to write nothing. Yes, please don't feel like you have to continue. I could, uh, this could be like the last thing I ever read about Voyager and I would be happy. It's just. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I always have to remind myself when I'm like, you know, like he sends all this free writing and these amazing stories. Uh, I've, I've paid him back a little. That Picard piece that I made, the painted piece. Yeah. I painted that for him for nothing. So <laughs> I paid him back too because I like went to England and I fucking gave him the best blowjob I've ever given. 
That's saying something. And that's it, yeah. Josh is the king of gobbies. It's, I'm just, they call me the gob. Gobbler. They call him the hobgoblin. The hobgobbler. He's so good at gobbies. <laughs> he'll, he'll gobble your novel right up. Yeah, I even did a pretty good British accent. Nah. It's me. I mean, yeah. It's me, British Masters. Uh, God. Don't do that to my boy, Rich Masters. No, he talks like he is from a wizarding school. He talks. Yeah, he's, so, he is sort of a little bit of an upper class yeah. kind of talk. Yeah, my ancestors probably wanted to secede from his. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my ancestors definitely grew potatoes for his ancestors. Definitely so. didn't make bombs to blow up his. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he finishes up the email by saying, I haven't proofread this, so I hope you like it. We fucking love it, dude. We don't just like it, we fucking love it. I didn't proofread it, I proofbred it. <laughs> Ew. Ooh, my dick. Ew. Who says that? Who talks like that? Who talks about cum diapers like that? Really? Degenerates. <laughs> Full degenerates. Full-blown Irish degenerates. <laughs> I've seen the cartoons about the Irish. <laughs> I've heard the stories. Uh, any errors, blame on time management. Here's the thing. Don't worry about getting it in, Rich. Don't yeah. worry. Also, I read that as any errors, blame it on management. And I was like, who's management? I guess we're the I management, aren't we? Our fault. Yeah. What is our fault? A very Merry Christmas to you both, your families, and every M-Class podcast fan who deserved a better year than the one we just had. Aww. Load of love, I get it. Your old pal Rich, Chief Booty <laughs> Officer on the USS Badoink. <laughs> Badoink? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rich, fuck. you outdo yourself every time you send one of these in, and it blows my mind. How did you get so good? How the fuck did you get so good, buddy? I mean, I'm just trying to slob that knob so I get some of that writing juice in my mouth. <laughs> slob on my knob, like corn on the cob. <laughs> That's true. I think that was UGK, That's too, UGK, actually. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, will, I will point out, this is uh, a little side... A little side note. I did just get a, a message on... Uh, at M Class Podcast on Twitter... From risk of Josh getting fired. Oh, yeah. With, I think it's time, Jeff. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> now it's calling the shots! <laughs> it's become self-aware. Fuck, dude. Uh-oh. I'm in trouble. Nah, I would never I would never dump Josh from the podcast. Who the fuck would listen to this after that? <laughs> just one guy talking about Star Trek? What the fuck? (laughs) Oh, man. Wait, I never thought of a replacement. Hmm. (laughs) Perhaps I could just dub myself in and be both hosts. That's already the way it is, pretty much. So, you could. (laughs) I, I keep telling people that I just do a really good Josh impression. You have no idea this podcast exists. Yeah, I'm just sitting at home, just, like, reading a book, smoking a pipe, like, someone talking about me? Why are my ears ringing? 
and people keep tweeting at you about M-Class Podcast, and you're like, what is this now? It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't know. I do so many <laughs> stupid things. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. Retweet. I guess I'm on it. I don't remember, but I guess I'm Should on I it. Are talking about fantasy fiction, or what? <laughs> oh, well. Oh, my God. You know what, Rich? Uh, you're the fucking best, and we love you. <laughs> I I kick myself so hard that I wasn't saving all these emails. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I felt I'm like sure I, I probably shouldn't be saving all these emails since it's your intellectual property. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure he has them, right? Unless he doesn't, in which case, you got to go transcribe the fucking yeah. episode. <laughs> Good luck transcribing my horse like shit. Some kind of ancient scribe. <laughs> With a feather. I hope pen. I do them just. I hope I do them justice. You do great. You do a great job. I, I try my hardest. You do. I was never the type of guy who read out loud in class. You do great. I got a cat. What are you doing? Thank you. What's up, kitty? What's up, baby? Um, I think Rich is still in the process of putting together a website that has all of his stories on the on internet. It. Wow. Yeah, they got those now. Huh. A geocities.com slash richmasters slash Star Trek, I believe. Slash Badoink. Badoink. <laughs> Badoink. Badoink. Nah, I'm I'm so fucking excited for that website. Yeah, you can read Everybody it bother Rich to make that website. No, I don't do that. Don't do that. Bother him. Bother him. Not bothering me. Bother him. <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to bother us, you better fucking pay for it by heading on over to patreon.com slash mclasspodcast, where for as little as a dollar, you get access to this podcast a week early, a Discord full of your fellow Trek boys, wallpapers of every piece of art I make for this show, and much, much more. At higher levels, you get whole new podcasts like Jeff and Josh Shoot the Shit, our commentary track series, Jeff and Josh Talk Over Movies, uh, just a lot of M Class etc. with the Trek yeah, Your Own a Trek Venture series, which is coming back soon. There's so many. There's so many things. It's full of a lot of cool shit. And also, you'll get to shape the future of M Class because you'll get to, if a high enough level, you get to tell us what to watch. You get to suggest collections that get voted on. Yeah, tell us what to watch. And we also are going to be doing a bunch of polls in the future, the very near future. Maybe now? When does this come out? <laughs> no, not now. Later. We're going to be doing polls in January that are really going to shape the entire future of this fucking everything that we do. It's one so. of my New Year's resolutions. Do more polls. Fuck more polls. Put more polls up in we have Polish fans we could fuck my butt <laughs> I mean if they're into it let's go thank you everybody <laughs> for sending your emails in if you'd like to shoot us an email you can do that at uh, mclassemail at gmail.com singular I still haven't uh, fixed up the other one I guess you could send it to that too if you want to be a prick don't send it to that one it's so confusing <laughs> it is so confusing but now if someone mistypes we'll still get it which is pretty good that is good yes i'm scared that i'm gonna log in and there's gonna be a hundred messages and it's all gonna be emails people sent to i mean i've been using it to sign up for porn sites for the past couple uh, of days so it probably, i'm pretty excited to sign into it then. <laughs> probably just that yeah sign up for porn sites what is this 2002 <laughs>
Yep. Follow us on Twitter at M Class Podcasts. Oh, you could go on uh, Spotify and or uh, wherever iTunes. iTunes and you rate and review the show. It's uh, helps us out a great deal. Uh, think of it as beaming up your opinion. <laughs> That's the the worst thing we've ever said on this podcast. I said cum diaper like six. That times. was worse. That's worse. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Doing a beam me up joke. Beat me up, cum diaper. In Anno Domini 2021. Oh, Domini. What are you, Catholic? What is this, Latin class? Yeah, it's Latin class. What are you, fucking Dan Brown over here talking about fucking Jesus' bloodline? Yeah. Why wasn't there, like, a huge fucking, like, pushback thing about that? There was. Christians don't like Jesus fucking. There was. You just weren't in the circles because we're not Christians. Yeah, I don't care. We don't care, yeah. <laughs> Also, the internet was probably true. Internet wasn't as mad as it is. <laughs> Can do you think Jesus could do a Kamehameha? I mean, if he was as magic as they say, sure, why not? I bet Jesus could do a spirit bomb. That would be one of his go-to moves. His one of his, his go go moves. Yeah, yep. yep. <laughs> Yep. That might be the worst one we did, actually. Was, Sorry. Was, everybody. It was close. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be back in another week with more M-Class goodness. So bye-bye. Resistance is futile.